Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Ayan Shirwa. On today's program, we sit in on a debriefing session organized by Naam Imagining Abolition. Community organizers Mariki Onis and Idil Ali created Naam Imagining Abolition to address the inequity of capital. Through generous donations from the community, they were able to send a group of young people to the Imagining Abolition Conference. Imagining Abolition is part of a series of conferences that imagines a world without prisons. The conferences are organized by Sisters Inside and are held every two years in Brisbane. Sisters Inside is a community organization that supports girls and women impacted by the criminal justice system. I want to thank Nam Imagining Abolition for giving me a chance to listen in and occasionally ask a question or two. Let's start the program. Stuff like I was going through like old school books the other day, like because I was just cleaning up my shed and going through and like seeing all this work that I'd done in primary school on like explorers and like Captain Cook and like oh the farming industry. And, like, just all this stuff that I was like, fuck, I've just been totally assimilated into this. Mm. And there was no question about, yeah, what we were being taught, but also, like, where is the, like, original people in this? Like, they don't exist. And then also knowing, like, that I'd been kind of um, asked to research um, Major Mitchell, which is um, an... Australian explorer that like basically massacred like all of my people like in the Grampians like there's I don't know if you guys have like done any road tripping around Victoria um but there's like this thing called the Major Mitchell Trail and so there's all these markers along the way to like where I like drive to go to my country of like oh this is where Major Mitchell was and it's like Yep, great. Markers of, like, where he, like, totally, yeah, murdered, like, my people. Mm. And, yeah, as a, like, Aboriginal kid, being asked to, like, research, like, these murderous explorers is, like, fucking crazy. But, yeah, it's that whole, that was a total sidebar. But, like, (laughs) it just shows, like, how insidious it is and that even, like, you know, I grew up in Melbourne in a really, like, political family um, full of activists, like my um, grandma um, was a part of um, the Advancement League and like went to a Black Power conference in like 1970 um, in I think it was Philadelphia um, and all this shit like you know totally have this foundation of like activism but even like that whiteness just totally infiltrates like Mm. everything that happens Mm. um yeah and that kind of weird hierarchy that happens when you're at the bottom of like oh no we have to be better than this person like we have to be better than Aboriginal people or we have to be better than like Africans or whatever it is it's yeah it's totally a part of the colonial project it's the way you see punishment and the way you see transgression has that changed yes a lot I um, I looked at circumstance now and how that plays a role a lot now. And it's more about rehabilitation for me more than putting you in a box and leaving you there. 
so you can think about what you did because it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. Like there are some kids who you know you can put in a corner and put them on timeout and then they'll never do it again because they didn't like timeout. There are some other kids who are going to be resentful, mm-hmm. and it's the same with the prison system. I kind of just realize that humans no, they don't like that. You, they don't like being in. A box. Mm. It's dehumanizing. Yeah, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. How are you going to make people get some people also better. do go back in there though, and that's a problem too. You know. Yeah, and how they do like, go back in because they want to be in that. Yeah, you know, we're used to that pattern. And people who Entrapment. have issues and have those strikes against them, they don't deserve to be further punished as well. Mm-hmm. And that's why. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm just like, some of the people who are in the prisons mm. are there because they didn't have this, didn't yeah. have that, didn't have access to this, da da da. What really yeah. stood out for me was like that these people, a lot of these women, particularly in there, and kids, are actually heroes. They're the warriors of our time. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that say no straight up mm-hmm. yeah. and just say no and yeah. just do the thing that is intrinsically what we all should feel free enough to do, which is protect our families mm. and protect our own. And the fact that they took that time, you know, to, like, that moment and go in is, like, these people often haven't done anything wrong. If anything, they've really, like, activated some part of themselves, which takes a lot, you know, from a place of having been held down to then, like, rise in that way and then be locked up for it because their power is too powerful. That's why they're locking them up. I'm, I'm like, locking up the children for that reason too. Their power is... Um, it made me also think about law uh, as in, like, what the justice system... Like how we can start somewhere in there, because I'm really like struggling with the fact that you tell somebody just plead guilty so we can go home. I'm yeah, really struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Like, or to access services, like yeah. and yeah. career court, I, for example. I just keep mm-hmm. thinking about how we can strengthen that so it be at least something we have for now as we're working towards yeah. abolishing, you know, prison systems altogether. But yeah, it. Yeah, it just it was so frustrating to me. Like mm-hmm. somebody who's innocent, but they're like, I just want to go home. Yeah, mm-hmm. just plead guilty. Like if you didn't do it, you would be doing it. Or like, like uh, they made housing so expensive. Yeah. Housing so expensive, food so expensive. You got somewhere to sleep and some food. Sometimes that is a better idea. It's like right, yeah. all right, I'll just go in there, and then you've got this completely, yeah, demoralized, dehumanized groups of people yeah. huge groups of people mm-hmm. and then people out here in this open air prison vibe it's just not cool mm-hmm. and it always comes back to this and colonial state going on prison. our sorry to cut you off going mm-hmm. on our um taking that to a personal level um how do you see punishment and the way we view transgression working in our intimate relationships whether it's friendships family how do you see that playing out um, I think this conference really highlighted to me that um, prison culture and sexism go hand in hand mm. and how gender you can't... Yeah, gender violence. And I really did think about myself in situations where I was in situations where people were violent because of my gender and how I subconsciously knew that if I reacted, the justice system would not, you know, believe me. So I would, I'm would. i stuck in a two-way streak where I feel like I need to punish myself for getting myself in that situation. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just thought about how, how I can use all that information that I learned from the conference coming back into my community because I know I'm not the only person going that went through things like that. 
and how um, just we're coming up to summer, how a lot of youth are going to be coming together and blah, blah, blah. And I've just thought about having like, um, like, um, sort of like policing, community policing things, like letting people know that they can reach out. Like, there's a lot of women in my community that their husbands don't give them their bank accounts, don't give them, don't give them their bank cards, don't let them have access to anything. When they do ask for that, they get beat up. They keep quiet about it. Like, just breaking that and letting mm. people know that there is other people you can contact. That's not the police. That's not, you know, the justice system. I've got a really great thing I post on yeah. Facebook, but I just want to paraphrase it. Is it like 12 things you can do instead of calling the cops? Don't feel obligated to defend property. So especially private property, corporate private property. So before confronting or contacting, ask yourself, is someone being hurt or endangered? And if no, then just forget about it. <laughs> like, if someone, if something is stolen of yours and you need to file for insurance or whatever, instead of going, consider going to the station instead of calling people to the location seems obvious like these things seem obvious and I think we all do this but I think in the wider community these things are kind of practical things so we can teach because it's like yeah if something gets stolen don't call the police to your house because it puts people in danger um if you observe someone exhibiting behaviors that don't assume they're publicly intoxicated this happens to black people all the time they're always trying to be like you're on drugs or you're drunk but we just lit <laughs> like and angry so I'm like um, so a traumatic brain injury, mental, you know, medical stuff can be happening. So ask if people are okay. Seems obvious, but yeah, like that story you said of it of that person in your, you know, that had the community that knew that they were going through that stuff. And so like really rallying against like four people and advocating with mental stuff going on. When we see people with mental stuff, like not even judging, you know, like all the things we've already dismantled. But it's like other people, this stuff is still new. And the fact that there's discrimination against First Nations people, you're like, there's stuff that seems so obvious. And obviously we're all in a bubble where it's like, well, yeah. But it is always a shock to realise how many people are just like not, don't have that empathy or the language around that empathy to be like, wow, you know, classism is rife, sexism is rife, gender violence, like you all know, that stuff. Kaya makes a really good point. Um, she can't stand it when um, people walk past a, a homeless person and like they ask you for something or like they're just communicating with them. She can't stand it when people completely ignore them. And it's just something small like that. Like it's classes recognizing like, somebody's a human, regardless. Yeah. Like you Listen. said them, you yeah. saw them and then saw, saw what they look like and decided yeah. to uh, shrug your shoulder and yeah. act like you, like they don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. That's so strong. What's your life like? Like I'd actually yeah. love to just watch one Prison day culture. of your life. Mm -hmm. Also, that's the same has also why do we punish I was just gonna say why do we punish people for asking? Yeah. Like I feel like people are nicer to homeless people who do not ask. I think what, what you're talking about in your question directly relates to conflict resolution. And it's something that most people don't actually um, look to and they don't actually know that it's a thing, but you can actually study conflict resolution. And I like when it comes to talking about um, things with different generations or talking about um, abolition or anything like this, a conference that you just went to with your parents, they have a completely different communication style. I know my mum and I butt heads just from me like being who I am, I trigger her and her just being who she is, she triggers me. Mm. So you have to like endeavor to be better at communicating mm. and conflict resolution. There are books about it, there are readings about it, studies, essays. Art, like, art is very indigenous practices. Like when I think exactly. of conflict resolution, yes. like um, 
I'm Oromo on my dad's side, and we have a system called Gada. And restorative justice is just what we do. There is a tree which people gather under. You have the two parties, and you do come to that agreement of what can justice look like for the person that was hurt, and how can that person who has enacted that harm be rehabilitated into the community. And it's something that we've moved away from because I see that there's been, like, moving away from Indigenous practices as a part of becoming more... Modernized or Westernized. Yeah, but which of our cultures had prisons? Is it because the, the symbols of colonization and capitalism and whiteness like don't fit into that model in some ways, or like people don't know how to creatively like? Because often I see that I see like these mythologies that are like these things at play and older technologies or mythologies or languages, it just doesn't translate. So it's like. What are the trend, you know, and as people that do walk both, you know, like also colonialism has stopped giving people that language, like to their, yeah. Yeah. To their own culture. Yeah. 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 yeah, I don't know much about my culture. My dad doesn't know much about mm-hmm. his culture. Like, we've been so blocked from it because of things like colonialism and Arabization, also, like, we pass Arab supremacy. Mm-hmm. Because it's always in contrast to white supremacy, so we're like, oh, but like we don't give it as much credit yeah. as it should be mm-hmm. for relief from people up out mm. here. When I think also a lot of what is considered like crime or whatever would be totally um, non-existent if people were like able to grow up in culturally safe, like mm-hmm. in their own ways and within their own communities and have access to culture and have, you know, their role in society and their responsibilities. And, um, yeah, I just feel like all of that, a lot of the stuff that people are dealing with it is literally because they've been displaced. Mm-hmm. Like, What in your name? Savannah. So, so what Savannah said about um, culture being important um, and helping youth stay connected... Um, what about things like isolation? Do you think that plays a part in people sort of dropping out and kind of mm-hmm. getting lost in the system? It's not yeah. safe out here. I think that's what, like, 100% of people, like, not 100%, I don't know. Look, I'm not good at maths. But, like, mm-hmm. most of the people in prison would be in there because of some sort of isolating factor, yeah, totally. whether it's from, you know, their own families or communities or from society in general. Like, there's yeah. around sexual abuse for... Um, Mm-hmm. female incarceration, 98% of women in prisons have been have experienced sexual abuse yeah. in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. That is a clear indicator that isolation and, and those types of things do lead you down as a pipeline to get to yeah. prison. Yeah. They do. There's so many things that isolate you in your day-to-day life. And we isolate each other. Let's not, let's not pretend like we don't do that to each other. We do do that to each other. We isolate the fuck out of each other because we don't like someone's opinions. We don't like their perspectives. There are many reasons. Yeah. But, yeah, like... <laughs> Ultimately, we see that goes. Which is really interesting, though. That's also, like, that carceral culture that we were talking about. Like, that's isolation, like, literally. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think of times, like, I'm just really interested to see, um, like, how we as communities can kind of change that behaviour because I feel like a lot of times when people isolate others, it's, like, also a self-care thing. Like, if they're, like, oh, I can't. I have to remove real. myself from these like opinions. Isolating yourself is a self-casing. I feel like when you yeah. start to isolate other people, it becomes um, something very different and it is yeah. a cultural culture. And I guess it comes back to that communication. I think we also need to remember that um, isolation plays into mental health a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah.
and on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Axel of Women. We now return to the NAM Imagining Abolition Group as they share moments from the conference. There was the one, I think I'm getting this wrong, but a caged bird that has clipped wings but still has a voice to sing for freedom. Yeah. That was like, that poem. that's yeah. so real, that's so true. That was from an incarcerated yeah. young person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that that resonated heavy because like, yeah. that's true actually. I can't sing, but yeah. I can still sing. I can yeah. still scream. I can still mm. talk. I can. You can do whatever you want to me, but I can still... Mm. And I, like, I took that away and like I'm going to apply that. I remember I just couldn't stop thinking about how your kids are not going to be born with cage, like clipped wings. Mm. Like all the work we're doing for the limitations on our freedom, yeah. they will not have if we continue to fight. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Just like where our ancestors while the streams are, I'm yeah. like out in the field. I'm so Word. happy about that. <laughs> Last thing I want to be doing. Adela, do you... Anything that jumped at you? A lot of things, but mostly leaning more on people. Mm. We've already touched on it pretty much. Mm. Sorry, what was the question? Um, Anything that moved you at the conference? So many things. Um, I guess one thing just overall was connection across generations and um, just connection, just community, just... Just how that is. There is no freedom in, 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 with our connection. I don't know. Um, yeah, I learned a lot from it. I think what I got the most out of it is that we are humans that cover up the bull crap that we go through. So realizing that. You must be able to get out of that shell, all that dark place that is coming towards you, and you must be able to speak up, Um, even if it means talking to yourself, being creepy to yourself. That's that's okay. (laughs) Be creepy. (laughs) You know, but um, being able to know that and realize there are people who got your back, um, and coming out of it, because. We were in that space where we all look normal, she. But like <laughs> hearing, hearing the stories that, um, I guess I'm just gonna say the woman. I'm really bad with words. Um, women went through. Sorry, the elders went through. Um, was deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I got out of it. Beautiful. Oh my god, there's so many things I can't even narrow in on, like, one thing. Um, So at one stage I was wearing, like, a completely orange top, um, top, like, jumpsuit. And my t-shirt said healing on it. And my pants, completely different outfit, but I wear them together a lot. And when I had um, walked up to um, some of the women at the conference, um, a couple of them had said that I had triggered them. Jackie and, um, uh, yeah, I can't remember the other person's name, but they had said that I had triggered them um, because that's what they wear in county or before they go to county there. Um, But that the fact that my T-shirt said healing was just like a complete, you know, 360. 
um, I think that was really interesting to me because it, um, <clears throat> yeah, it brought back that that rhetoric around impact versus intent. Um, it kind of forced me to locate myself pretty quickly um, mm. and to recognize that that didn't trigger me and it didn't even occur to me because it's so far removed from my life and that that in of its own, your scarf, I'll leave it there, um, yeah, um, is a privilege um, and locating myself within that privilege where I am. Um, and, yeah, there's just been like a tug of war of emotions in that. Connection is something that heavily came from that. Impact versus intent, the ability to listen here, and the fact that I would never have even remotely related those things without having heard that person's lived experience with it. So making more time to hear other people's experiences, um, you know, yeah, being open to other people's realities. And what a beautiful message that was to see something that triggers you so much to make you think about one thing and then to read a word that says healing um, instead. I think one of the biggest things that I got out of going to the conference was um, just, like, the freedom of being with a big mob of black people, black women specifically as well, like, and in a place like Brisbane, which is so weird and quite racist, like, I don't know. I, just, I think that contrast really highlighted, um, yeah, how freeing it is to be just with your mob I guess like and to be in a big situation like that where everyone gets you and like I don't know anyway that was really cool um (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah I don't know I think going back to um Dr Chelsea Bond's um talk on the panel just about um, centering around freedom um, rather than abolition Um, and yeah just hearing yeah um, like you were saying like women's um, lived experiences I think that's always really incredibly powerful and is able to kind of create that space for that dialogue to happen yeah um, well, I think one of the things that stuck out for me was a quote that Angela said when she was talking. She was like, you have to imagine a revolution like you're going to live in it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that really did, like, it was like a personal attack sort of at me. Because, like, um, just with, like, everything that I've approached ever since I've had this mindset of I don't like the system I'm living in, has always been an approach of trying to make things more effective. So, like, my mindset towards prisons before I went to this conference was, like, prisons suck, but we need to make them more effective. Whereas after this, I was like, we just need to destroy the whole thing, you know? And really just, like, you know, just being able to take that for everything in my life, just approaching things to dismantle them Mm. 100%, not Mm. just to sort of work my way in to the point where I'm comfortable or to the Mm. point where I think it's fine, you know, just dismantling systems of oppression. Yeah, Yeah, powerful. Yeah, I feel like that is what stood out for me. How It was just a really holistic experience. Like, I feel like it 
encapsulated all these thoughts and feelings and dreams and wishes that I've just felt in my blood and just hearing it out loud through so many different lenses and seeing just like, just like, I, it's just always like important to remember how evil this world is. Like it really is pretty bad. And to see people like rise out of that is huge because sometimes it can feel so unattainable. Mm. But to see people who have gone through the worst of it still be able to do that really, yeah, it was like a personal attack or checked me. Like it was like, wow, like, and also gave me the space to like recognize that just because I've done something, made mistakes and that I like, you know, don't fit into this system. Like it just reiterated, it's like, that's actually my strength and not my weakness. And even though they try and make you seem like a victim as a result or punish you for that, that can be a really hard line to toe. But to know there were so many people, you know, who who toe that line and who fight for people within their communities made me feel like, okay, yeah, there's enough of us, you know, to, to do this because it can feel really hopeless. But it's that reminds me of that quote that's like when sleeping women wake mountains move. It's like as soon as like it's over for them. Like it's like, sorry, patriarchy, you tried it again. Like 800 years, thousands of years. Like it's not even that deep compared to how long we all been here. So let's go and see it gone. And then the other quote that was there that I can't remember who said it, but about standing on the shoulders of giants. Like we're literally on the shoulders of giants and people and all the indigenous elders and leaders there who are literal giants. And I just feel like, yeah, to sit and observe and to also learn, it's just such a, I just feel so grateful that my lifetime saw me in that room, in that space, sees me with these people and sees me on this path, essentially. It just really reiterated that. I was just going to say, like, um, at one point, um, it was said, like, we are, we are the people we've been waiting for. Mm. And, like, that had... Like, like it brought me to tears. Like real talk. Like, um, like finding out about this conference two years ago when all of us blacked out. Um, we went to some conference room in Melbourne Uni to see Angela speak, and she started to talk about Sisters Inside. And we all said, "What is that?" We started talking about it. We started like doing our research, and there was this moment when I was emailing one of the organizers about conference tickets because we're changing names on conference tickets and um, I went to write in her name and I clicked the earliest email from her thinking that was the one the original one where I talked about and I saw this email from April where I was saying hey um, I found out about your conference and I remember sitting with Inez and Aisha like writing that email and being like um, hey heard about your conference how do I go about getting tickets I can't find details blah 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 she replied to it in like July and I remember just being like oh wow that's how long we were thinking about it we're about two years ago um and then like our whole lifetimes up to this point like so this idea of like we are who we've been waiting for and that was the nam imagining abolition group sharing their favorite moments from the conference accent of woman is produced in the melbourne studios of community radio 3cr with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network, with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. I'm Ayan Shua, and we look forward to your company again next week.